One of the most um, dramatic and moving pictures we have in Scripture is the picture of Jesus on the cross. And on either side of them, these two crooks, these two thieves, these two villains. And Jesus, as we know, was, was hanging there as a, going to sacrifice his life, a perfect sacrifice, so that we might have life. And he was hanging there perfect between these two crooks. And one of them was abusing him. He said, you said you are the king of the Jews. Why don't you get us all down off these horrible crosses? And remember the, the words of the other one, the one on the other side. And he looked across and he said, just hold your horses. He said, you and I both deserve to be here for what we've done. But this man is innocent. And the Spirit of God must have touched, touched, been touching this man because remember he said to Jesus, <coughs> um, remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus looked across to this man and said, made this wonderful statement, wonderful promise to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. And that's a wonderful picture of salvation at the last minute, you might say. You could say that he, he just squeaked in to the kingdom of heaven by the skin of his teeth. But we might have questions about that and say, well, have a look at this man's life and the things that he's done. He's a thief, possibly a murderer and a rapist and all the rest of them put together. And here we have these pious Jews that have lived exemplary lives on the surface anyway. And you say they're not entering the kingdom of heaven and yet this thug is. How can that be? Or perhaps you could argue, well, surely it's only fair that this man is given the opportunity to prove himself that his faith is genuine. But of course he never had the opportunity to do that, did he? And so we can have some questions in our mind about God's justice, about his spiritual justice. Um, we have, yeah, we have our own questions, don't we? The last week, last week in, uh, in Awaka, where I come from, we had a funeral. Very sad occasion where a couple farewelled their second son. They only had two, and they lost them both. And it was very sad. They cope, I mean, they're coping with it remarkably well, but... And at these times, people come up to them and I've heard many, several people say, where's the justice of that? Or, they didn't deserve that. And on the other hand, as we 
Sometimes we sit down and watch the news on telly at night and we hear about the, uh, these young, um, young fellows, ram raiders, that bash the front of the, um, the shops in and go and flog all this stuff and the police cat catch them and pat them on the head and tell them to be good boys and let them go. And of course they do the same thing again the next night. And once again, we say, where's the justice in that? We have in this in, inbuilt sense of right and wrong and justice that <coughs> is quite different to the way God operates and the way that God sees life. And I think it's vitally important that we understand that. The disciples of Jesus, they were in a similar position. They were questioning Jesus. They, um, they of course, had left everything. They'd left their families. They'd left their fishing boats and their livelihoods and everything for three years and followed Jesus around and served him. That's a huge commitment. A huge commitment. And somehow in their heads, they hadn't quite worked out what this new kingdom that Jesus was going to bring in was like, but they had pictured it as a political um, kingdom where Jesus would raise together a rebellion and somehow kick the Romans out and set up a new kingdom. And so they were thinking, well, in this new kingdom there'll be a few good positions to be had. He'll be looking for a prime minister and a We've just set up our government, and we, and the Minister for Justice and the Minister of Finance, and there'll be some good positions in this new kingdom. And we know that James and John actually come to Jesus, and encouraged by their mother, I think, and said, look, can we have some of these good positions sit on your right and your left hand side in this new kingdom? And Jesus had to deal with this attitude. And remember, he took the little child and sat him on his knee and said, unless you become as this little child, you're not into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus kept talking about this kingdom of heaven. And in, and in Matthew 19, he'd been dealing with the, the rich young ruler. And... Um, and saying how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then the disciples asked this question in verse 27 of Matthew 19. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? What will there be for us in this new kingdom of yours? Because we have given our all for you. And Jesus, as he did oftentimes, to illustrate a point, told a story. And this story, a parable, illustrates how differently God looks 
on people to our own sense of justice. So it was, it was with these sort of questions in mind that Jesus told this fascinating parable, the parable of the workers paid equally. And I've always been fascinated by this parable. It's a wonderful story. It's a very simple story, but it's a wonderful story. But it illustrates very much how God looks upon us and how God operates on us. Um, towards us. The story is about a marketplace which in the biblical times was the, the centre of everything and those who <coughs> were casual workers would gather there looking for work and that if, that's where anybody looking for workers would go. And uh, the parable is of this landowner who had a large vineyard and his grapes were ready to pick. Now, I don't know a whole lot about grapes, but I think there's a window, isn't there, about when, they're, when the sugar's the right level or something. Some of you might know more about wine will know. But there's a window of, of time when they need to be picked. And this owner was very keen to get them picked. And so he needed a lot of people, no machines in those days, all manual. And so he went out early in the morning at 6 a.m. Now, they worked a 12-hour day in those days. 6 a.m. And here were these guys. Who, they were keen, these fellas. They'd got up at 5 o'clock and had breakfast, and they were keen for a good day's work. They were ready to go. And uh, the owner hired them and said, well, look, I'm, I'll pay you a denarius. And that was the accepted wage for a, a daily wage for the workers in those days. I suppose that we might translate to something like $200 or something in our, in our currency. And so he, he took these men and set them to work, but he could see that there was, there was no way these guys were going to get through all these... Well, and so he went back at nine o'clock in the morning and there was some more people there. Perhaps these were the guys who weren't quite as sharp in the morning as the, as the first guys. Some people are morning people, aren't they? And some are nocturnal. And so he, there was another bunch there. And so he said, oh, look, we'll, we'll give you a job and we'll pay you whatever is right. Remember, he didn't say, I'll pay you a denarius. He said, I'll pay you whatever is right. And so, of course, these, these guys were going to work nine hours as opposed to the 12 hours of, for the 6 a.m.ers. But still there was more grapes to be picked, and so he went back at 12 noon after six hours. And there was still some... Some people have their breakfast at our lunchtime. And so there were some people there ready to go, and so he hired them as well. Set to work. Still, there was still more to be done, and he went back at 3 o'clock. And there was, things were nearly there, but he just needed a last push, some extra hands. 
with one hour to go, and of course, six o'clock was knock-off time. So they wanted to have the final push. And he, there was these guys who come out at 5, 5 p.m. Now, they probably weren't the keen guys, were they? They might have been the ones that the wives kicked out because they were, need to go and do something useful with their lives. And so they got a job for an heir. Pretty cushy number, wasn't it? And so they finally got all the grapes picked. It was a huge, big effort for all these people. That had, some had worked 12 hours, some nine, some six, some three, and some one. Huge variation in the amount of effort put in. And so he bought out the steward with all the money, and he said, right, pay time. And interestingly enough, he started off with the, with the five o'clockers, the ones that only worked an hour. And um, everybody was interested to know what he'd going to pay them, because he just said, I'll, I'll pay you what is right. And lo and behold, he gave these wasters that only worked one hour a whole denarius, a whole day's wage. And it's the same with the three o'clockers and the guys in the noon and the nine, nine a.m.ers. And all the time, the six a.m. guys will be thinking, well, these guys got a denarius. I, I can see a bonus here because we've worked the whole day. But no, they got a denarius too. They got a denarius too. And they started snivelling a wee bit and said, well, look, um, we, you know, we've, we've worked 12 hours in the heat of the day here, and we're getting the same with these lazy beggars that have only worked an hour. Where's the justice in that, they said. But hang on, says the, uh, says the owner. Didn't I agree with you to pay you a denarius at the beginning of the day? Have I not kept my word? And they had to accept that that was the case that he had. So their expectations of being paid more were dashed, even though on the face of it, they deserved more. And I want us just to um, look at three things that Jesus said in response to this. In um, verses 11 to, um, to 30, ah, sorry, in the wrong place. Um, verse 13 to uh, 16. I'll just read, read through this again. So he answered one of them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last, and he finished off with this statement, which probably had them scratching their heads. 
So the last will be the first, and the first will be last. So the first thing that Jesus said here was, look, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. I gave you exactly what I promised. There's nothing underhand here. There's nothing underhand. And of course, this story has huge spiritual connotations because we know very well that the story was referring to God as the, as the owner of the vineyard and we are all the workers. And the reality is that we all need salvation. We know that from Romans, for all have sinned and short, fallen short of the glory of God. We all need salvation. We all need saved. We could argue that some of us have got more to forgive than others. But we all need us. We all need our sins forgiven. We all need salvation. And Christ had made this wonderful promise. We read in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He has promised us salvation. He has promised us eternal life. And he has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And that's a wonderful promise, and he will keep to that promise. And that's the denarius, isn't it? That's our denarius. He has said he will keep what he has promised. Um, And if we try and picture heaven, heaven will be filled with a fairly motley bunch of people. There'll be six AMers and nine AMers and 12 o'clockers and 3 PMers and even the 5 PMers. Those people that only served for a very, very short time. Those people who had a whole lot to forgive, like the thief on the cross. And so there'll be all this mixture of people in the kingdom of God and he has all promised, that God has promised to us all, I will give you your denarius. I will bring you salvation. Even though we come from vastly uh, different backgrounds and sitting there may well be a pastor or a missionary who has given his whole life to this proclamation of the gospel and sitting next to him might be some guy like this thief on the cross who got to the kingdom of heaven by the skin of his teeth. But that's fine by God because that's what he wants. So God has not been unfair as far as salvation is concerned. He is carrying out what he has promised and we will all get to be part of this great kingdom of heaven if we, if we follow him.
Um, there's a quote, and I can't tell you who this, um, who the who the, the wise person was that sent this. A, a commentator, some commentator or other. He that is God will never be less than fear, but reserves the right to be more than fear if it pleases him. And I think that sums it up pretty well, doesn't it? The second thing that Jesus said in response was, I have... uh, don't I have the right to use my money as I see fit? This is the owner saying, um, if I want to pay these guys, these wasters, a whole denarius, that's my prerogative. And if we look at that in a spiritual context, God is saying the same thing. If I choose to be especially generous with some, Is that not my right? Um, He had not taken anything away from any, but choose to give more out of his generosity. And as we look at life, we see that some lived, uh, some seemed to live a very blessed life in the and others just battle. Things just seem to go, turn against them. Some have, uh, get caught up in all sorts of things that they shouldn't. And we look at this and, and we think, well, gee, surely if we'd lived a good life that, that God should just bless us. And he does bless us. But it doesn't quite work the, the way um, we think it should. <clears throat> God doesn't reveal why he does things or allows things to happen in our lives. He doesn't reveal that. Remember, Job tried... He tried to understand why God had taken away all everything that he had owned, and he and he went and um, sat in the ash heap. Remember, and the whole book of Job was the struggle to to get from God why God had had done this or allowed why God had allowed Satan to do this. But in the end, he didn't really get an answer, did he? He didn't get an answer. God wasn't going to... And in the end, God said, Who are you to question me who made you and put the whole world and everything in place? Who are you to question my motives and how I direct people's lives on earth? Who are you to question? And that's, that's a hard lesson, but I guess that is, that's the fact, isn't it? 
God isn't going to be reveal, going to reveal this side of heaven anyway. Why some things happen to us, good things happen to some people and bad things happen to other people. And it's not necessarily anything to do with our spiritual walk, but that's just the way God operates. And we know through the story of Job, there's the spiritual battle going on between God and Satan and all that's been interacted in our lives in various ways, that very battle. And for some of us, it means hardship. And for some of us, it means a real blessing. But we are not really privy to the details of that interaction. So God has the right absolute right to bless us or allow us to be hurt for his own reasons and for his own purposes. And I look forward to to heaven to perhaps be able to get some answers about a few things that I've got, and I'm sure you've got a list too. But that's, he is God. And we are his people. And just because bad things doesn't happen to us doesn't, of course, mean that God has turned his back on us. He certainly doesn't. But it means that he has allowed Satan to test us and challenge us in this great, for this great a spiritual battle for people's hearts. The third thing that is mentioned here in verse 15, uh, sorry, in the end of verse 15, do I have the right to do what I want with my money or are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I am generous? In other words, does this concept of the um, thief on the cross obtaining salvation, does that upset you? Does that upset you? Does the injustice of it upset you? Does it offend us that the sun seems to shine brighter on some people than others. I think as an example, if we take the um, parent-child relationship, we all love our kids, don't we? We love our children, not because they're the best people in the world, not because they're the most gifted and successful, and we love them because they're our kids. And we always think that it, our children should get the, the top prize at the school prize giving. We always think that our kids should be the captain of the rugby team or the netball team or whatever. We, thought, we, think, we, we think our kids are wonderful, don't we? But 
of course, we're looking at them through a different lens, through the loving eyes of a parent, because they are part of us, you know, genetically, uh, biologically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so you could say that we're somewhat biased, couldn't you? We have a biased view of our own children. Why? Because we love them. We love them. We think they're wonderful, even though they may be little rat bags. And so it is, you see, with God. He loves us. We are his family. And you could, I don't think I'm committing heresy here. And, um, but you could almost say that God is biased towards sinners. Challenge me on that if you think that is wrong. But because God loves us, because we are his people, he longs for, to bring us into his kingdom. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So God is biased towards sinners. I want to, just in closing, turn our uh, thoughts to the prodigal son. Now, it's a, it's a wonderful story. The prodigal son is another parable that Jesus told. And um, you could get thousands of sermons out of it. But one of the, sad, the saddest thing about the story of the prodigal son is the action of the older son, isn't it? Remember, the son had, the younger son had blown all the, uh, this huge amount of money on parties and whatnot, and it found himself destitute in the end and came home and was pleading forgiveness to his father. And remember how his father welcomed him with open arms and um, to the point of putting on a huge party because here was a son who he thought was lost. And when the elder brother got in from working in the fields and heard all the hoo-ha, what's all this about? And he discovered that his, this waster of a younger brother of his had come back. And to his dismay, instead of his father berating him for wasting all that money, his father was putting on this party and celebrating his return. And he couldn't, the older brother, couldn't, he couldn't cope with it. Look, he said, Dad, I've been here, and I've been working all this time. And this young waster, he's went on and lost it, wasted it all on goodness only knows what. And by, by celebrating his return, that's a smack in the face to me. 
That's basically what he was saying. Because I've never had any parties, so in my honour, he said. I think that's sad, but it's understandable, isn't it? But it's sad that that brother was not able to celebrate the return of his younger brother. Isn't that sad? And so I think there's something of a picture here. Because God's generosity is based on his love. God's generosity is, is born of his love for us. We are his children, his family. And so he's biased. And he will get, and that is why he is willing to, to um, bring his people in, even though they've led him a merry dance. God's generosity is born of his love. His love for us. And we need to be of the same of the same view. We need to be able to celebrate God's grace. Because this is another word, of course, for God's generosity is his grace. God's unmerited favor. And we call our churches the grace churches because of this wonderful concept that because God loves us, he is willing to forgive us and reach out to us. And we need to celebrate that wonderful grace, that wonderful love, not reject it and question it. And sure it will mean that the kingdom of heaven is made up of a pretty motley looking bunch. But God loves them anyway. And I think we need to to understand that and, and move away from our own natural sense of justice because God looks on life different to us. And it's just as well. It's just as well, isn't it? God's grace is a wonderful thing and we need, to, we need to celebrate it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you do love us and care for us and that you bring us into your kingdom even kicking and screaming sometimes and that you will keep your promise that uh, you, you have prepared a place for us and that you, we will be part of your everlasting kingdom. So we thank you for this great promise and help us to embrace something of the love that you have showed, you show too for your people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.